So in order for love to exist, there needs to be two things. There needs to be acceptance and there needs to be trust. Mm-hmm. If there's not acceptance and if there's not, a, if there's not trust, then whatever you're feeling towards somebody, it's not love. It could be lust. It could be filling a void, falsely healing a wound. You know, like I like to call it as someone scratching your itch. <laughs> that feels really good. Like if you mm-hmm. need, if you like need someone or need to be in a relationship to feel chosen, to feel good enough, to feel worthy. And then you are in a relationship, even if it's a crappy relationship, that's an example of like basically someone scratching your itch. That feels really good. Uh, but it's not love. And this can be kind of, I understand like a little triggering because some people might push back like, but it was love. But I I think of love as like, and I kind of think of the same thing with happiness. Um, to me, love and happiness aren't really emotions. They're more states of being. Mm-hmm. And you can love someone and be angry at them. You can be very happy with them or like, you know, you can be upset with them. Like you can feel lots of different emotions, but love doesn't just like turn off and on. Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm with Veronica Grant today. Veronica is a love and life coach. She's host of the popular Love Life Connection podcast, and she helps successful women who feel like they have it all, except love, find it. She believes deep work is the only way to deep love. Veronica's work has been featured in O, The Oprah Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Your Tango, and countless podcasts. She's struggled in love herself and was tired of unsolicited and usually patronizing dating advice, even if it was well-meaning, and the outdated, often unspoken patriarchal rules that still govern dating. Out of this frustration, she created the resources she wished were available before she met her now husband. Through her binge-worthy podcast, free challenges, and coaching, She's here to shake up how you find love, even in our swipe right, swipe left world. A few of her guilty pleasures include, this made me laugh, psychoanalyzing TV and real life famous couples. That's so good. Hiking with her husband, pup, and new baby, and sushi everything. Welcome, Veronica. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I just want to start with psychoanalyzing of TV shows because isn't that the most fun thing to do? Oh my god, it's so fun. I just <laughs> I do it. It started I started doing it with Sex and the City when I used to watch back in college. And then it just grew to like doing that to The Bachelor and then How I Met Your Mother and then gosh I'm trying to think oh then like all of the rom-coms of course and now 90 Day Fiance like I just do it all over the place and I oh love my it. gosh and of course <laughs> like the dating ones right like of course the relationship and dating ones like how can you not analyze that I know so all right and and these are guilty pleasures right so it's such a funny thing that whole guilty pleasure thing because there's this way when i see the bachelor or i'm watching something like that where i'm like oh this is so patriarchal this is so weird this is so wrong and then there's part of me like oh i wonder who she you know or who he's going to choose or who you know <laughs> and then i get all into it I know. I know. I I struggle with that and particularly the Bachelor franchise because they just have so many issues when it comes to gender and race and uh, patriarchal norms and just, oh my God, everything. But I really do think that, I don't know. I mean, I guess in some ways, like I am buying into it, but on the, on the other hand, if you can watch it and then critique it in all the ways that it is harmful, then you know, because the show is going to exist whether or not Veronica Grant is watching it or talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. So if it's going to be there, then um, maybe I can. And I actually did this in my podcast recently. I don't, I don't like overdo it in terms of talking about it because a lot of it is producer manipulation, anyways. But I do find like the last few people that are left really is more about the relationship than like whatever shenanigans the producers are going to throw at the contestants. And so there was this one like really 
big breakup where people are like, oh my God, this poor guy. And like, we're blaming Katie, who was the bachelorette or whatever. And I'm like, dude, he was gaslighting her the entire time, but it was like so subtle. Like you wouldn't necessarily know it unless you know what you're looking for. And so I felt like I had to do an episode specifically on that because the past that men, particularly white men are given is just like insane. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, so like, I'll, I'll talk about like things like that in the podcast, but I don't overdo it. Cause again, a lot of it is just like silly, stupid producer stuff, but like that to me felt pretty, pretty real. And also you know, sometimes it's you don't know that you're being gaslit when you're being gaslit because that's the whole point of like what gaslighting is, you know? And so right. I thought this was a great example to be like, look how subtle it can be. It looks like they can be there for not to pull a line from The Bachelor, but from the for the right reasons, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like but I loved you or I was trying and da da And so it seems like they're like the good person and like doing all these good things, but really they're gaslighting you. So, well, but seriously, it wouldn't that have helped so much is just to kind of, like, when I think about what's missing in schools, it's so many relational skills, like learning yeah. relational skills and learning how to be in relationship. And so I just think about like, how useful it would have been to have a class on relationships and watching a clip and then kind of like dissecting or breaking down what really happened and and what the dynamics were, because a lot of this stuff is is hidden in plain sight. Oh, totally, totally. It's kind of like the what not to do. And especially if you're watching it from that perspective, you know, and you're pick you're picking up these things, I think then it's helpful. Otherwise, you know, the parts of it that are really harmful are also parts that I cringe, you know, especially if like my daughter's watching and I'm like, ah, you know, like, don't watch that. <laughs> you know. This there's so much to talk about here because like relationships and I think you and I, you know, share that we've both learned the hard way how how to have a really healthy, dynamic relationship. And so I'd love to just hear any anything you want to tell us about why you do the work you do. Yeah. So I remember when I was dating, I just got to a point emotionally where I was just like, what the hell? Like, what, what am I missing. I want those so bad. I've wanted it since literally sixth grade, not exaggerating about that. Mm -hmm. And it's just not freaking working. Like what the hell? And I was nearing the end of a second. I had two relationships right in a row in my early twenties. And the second relationship was definitely about to end. And I was like I was in denial about it, but I also knew, and that was what was creating the anxiety. And that was the first time I found myself working with anyone about like, what the hell, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not exactly sure what she was like. She, I don't think she was just like just a therapist because she called herself like a spiritual whatever, but something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And so we were having one of our first couple of sessions and I was telling her about the relationship and how just the anxiety, like I really wanted like I wanted to marry this freaking guy, even though like we'd only been dating a few months, I just decided that I was in love with him because he was everything I wanted. And he was kind of like, you know, cool <laughs> about me, but not like super into me. And so of course I just wanted to know, okay, what's the playbook? What do I do? How do I get him to like me? How do we get back to how we were at the very beginning of the relationship when he was super into me and it was super great and blah, blah, blah. That's what I wanted going into my sessions with her. And she kept asking me about my upbringing and my parents and my family. And I was like, why are we talking about this? <laughs> And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something and she responded with, oh, okay, so it just sounds like that you weren't really in an emotionally available home. Like you didn't grow up, you know, in an emotionally um, open home. And I was like, I kind of sat there for a second and I thought, kind of like taking in what she said. I was like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, we, yeah. We didn't talk about emotions. The only emotion that was there was anger. <laughs> and it was usually when you were just like poo-pooing it onto someone else, just because you didn't know how to emotionally regulate or deal with it. So I just learned to just deal with everything and shut down everything. And I didn't know how to connect deeply with someone. And I only really knew how to connect on more of like a shallow 
sense. And then I learned to feel the things that I wanted to feel, which was love and security and belonging and joy and peace and calm. I, I outsourced all of that. I learned how to feel that through being skinny. I learned how to feel that through getting good grades by having lots of plans and being quote unquote popular and all of those kinds of things. And so with that being kind of how I operated both in terms of how I related to myself and related to others, it's not really surprising as an adult who never really learned communication, boundaries, connection, vulnerabilities, all that kind of stuff that like, I didn't really know how to connect with someone. And instead, mm-hmm. this person was just filling that void that I so badly wanted to feel connected with somebody. I just didn't know how. And so I was just allowing him to be that thing for me, even though like the writing had been on the wall for, for months. And so it took having those conversations about my childhood for me to realize like, oh my God, I'm just playing out old stuff. That's all this is. This has nothing to do mm-hmm. with this guy that I was in a relationship that I was in a relationship with. And for me, that just, that was really, I'd always been into personal development since I was little. I just, I don't know. I'm Sagittarius rising. I think that might be part of it, but I just, I love it. I'm fascinated by it. Like I just want to strive and go deeper and deeper and deeper and learn and learn and learn. But I never got that. I never understood how we're playing out childhood stuff in our, especially relationships, but I think in lots of areas of our life. And that really began the journey that really I'm you know, on now, although you know, much, much further along. And that's really what inspired the work that I do with my clients and on my podcast and all that stuff. Because you know, I just, oh God, I have to like roll my eyes when I see things like five texts to, I don't know, get him to say yes or, or whatever. And I'm just like, I mean, look, like if you want to play that game, I'm not the boss of you do what feels good for you. But like, let's be honest and ask, really ask yourself, is that working for you? And is that really the game you want to play? Cause you, are you just trying to get someone to like you or are you trying to find the right person for you? Yeah. And those are two different things. And I don't care about someone liking you or not. I know it feels good. It's good for the ego, blah, blah, blah. But like, I want you to find the right person for you. So I do, you know, what's called inner child work. I don't make up inner child work. I'm just a practitioner of it, but I do what's called inner child work to help people really unravel the patterns and the beliefs that they find themselves in stories. They tell themselves about themselves, about love, men, women, relationships, all that kind of stuff so that we can heal that and then approach this area of our life that can be very tender and very sensitive from a place of compassion, a place from our higher self, rather than like a, please love me, please love me kind of place. Right. Yeah. The, the reaching, the, the continual reaching and the desperation and the triggered, you know, stuff that comes up, like after the honeymoon is over. It's so true that I can really relate to your story because I couldn't see the pattern that I was living out, you know, and why I was choosing the men that I was choosing either. And every single one of those choices was dictated from that inner child, that wound that, you know, of never feeling truly seen. And so I would choose emotionally unavailable people who couldn't see me because somehow that unconsciously felt familiar and that I equated that with love. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's, you said an important thing about love. So in order for love to exist, there needs to be two things. There needs to be acceptance and needs to be trust. Mm-hmm. If there's not acceptance and if there's not, a, if there's not trust, then whatever you're feeling towards somebody, it's not love. It could be lust. It could be filling a void, falsely healing a wound. You know, like I like to call it as someone scratching your itch. <laughs> that feels really good. Like if you mm-hmm. need, if you like need someone or need to be in a relationship to feel chosen, to feel good enough, to feel worthy. And then you are in a relationship, even if it's a crappy relationship, that's an example of like basically someone scratching your itch. That feels really good. Um, but it's not love. And this can be kind of, I understand like a little triggering because some people might push back, like, but it was love. But I I think of love as like, and I kind of think of the same thing with happiness. Um, to me, love and happiness aren't really emotions, they're more states of being. Mm-hmm. And you can love someone and be angry at them. You can be very happy with them or like, you know, you can be upset with them. Like you can feel lots of different emotions, but love doesn't just like turn off and on. It's mm-hmm. not like you love someone one day, you don't love someone the next day. Like love is a little bit more steady and you can achieve that steadiness when again, you have those feelings of safety or excuse me, when you have those feelings of trust and acceptance, 
but like if your relationship is all over the place and it's like hot and then it's cold and then the person is aloof and then like they're all over you and then maybe they'll tell you things like I've told you things that like I've never told you one before like these are all ways that we can build false vulnerability false intimacy with someone and think it's love and not really understanding what love is meaning that like love is more of that stability that stable kind of undertones across the entire relationship. Um, when we when we falsely think something is love, but it's not, that's when we end up staying in relationships that are dysfunctional, toxic, or even hurtful, harmful to ourselves. Because like, but the love is there or the sex is there, you know, <laughs> which can also be confusing. Right. Because that, that, that can be confusing. Absolutely. And you talked, so there are a couple of things I want to go back to. One is yeah, like the game playing, you you said the playbook. And there's this way that I was making up that you were referring to like the five things to text or whatever that those are some of the ads, right, that I've seen on social media platforms. And like, God forbid, you even say this is the worst advice I've ever heard in the comments, because you'll start to get more of those ads, right? And it's like, ah, no, I don't want more of this. But there's so much bad advice out there. Because and those are not that's not something that's going to teach us how to be relational. It's going to teach us more of the same, which is kind of the the dysfunctional way of kind of getting your needs met, mm-hmm. but in that false way, where when I think of intimacy, I I really love breaking down that word to intimacy, which always puts the onus on me to express where I'm at in this moment and what's coming up for me when I'm in a relationship. And if that means that I'm saying to my husband, Austin, like, wow, I'm really noticing myself feeling, you know, triggered right now or feeling like tightness in my chest because of something that you just said, like, there's this way that true intimacy, like we don't necessarily start fights, we start conversations so that we we feel like we can see each other and then we can resolve anything as it comes up. And let's face it, in the middle of the day, you may not have time, but then later in the day, it's like, hey, something came up for me today that felt really confusing or upsetting. Can we talk about it? And just noticing the differences that I have in my relationship with him now and how that is completely different from anything I have ever known in the past, where I can really attend to and attune to someone else consistently in a way that just feels like we're continually kind of in this choice to be with each other and in this dance to want to create space for the other one to feel seen and loved and known in, right? And it's not like we don't fight because we do, but it's it's goes back to something else that you said, which was growing up, we don't realize, like I had friends who used to say my parents never fight. Like I've come to learn like that's not a good thing either, right? Like that's not normal either. <laughs> so I would love for you to say anything that's coming up for you. Yeah, well, I think what you just shared really hits home to this idea that what I think people are really looking for goes so much more than just these five texts to get someone to like you back. Mm-hmm. And I understand why those kind of ads and articles and whatnot exist because heck, I want to click those. I'm like, what texts are these? Like, yeah. Tell, you tell me your text? big secret. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know what these things are. So, the Holy grail. Yeah. And so, and, and so then like we get straight into like, you know, clicks and money and all that kind of stuff. So I understand why, those blogs and ads and posts and whatnot exist. I understand why people click on them because like, again, I know all that stuff's crap, but I still want to know what those freaking texts are. I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that, I think the thing that, that comes up for me is we get dating and being in a relationship. We confuse the two. It's not even confuse the two. We think they're the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why those kinds of, blog posts and ads and headlines and whatever, you know, are so like, oh my God, please tell me. But, you know, I, I hear a lot from people like, oh, I hate the dating. I just want to get over the dating part. And it's like, well, then just get over the dating part. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like you don't have to play by these rules or play these stupid games because that's all the patriarchy anyways. Like all of those tips, all of those rules, they disempower women just by their very nature. It's like, don't be too much. You know, you have to, especially, you know, I'm talking again right here for heterosexual relationships, but you know, for the women, it's like, don't be too much. Don't, you know, show off your successes. Don't let them know if you make more money, if you own your house or blah, 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 be sweet, smile, be kind, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And like, all of that is just like taking your power away and giving it over to the person. And so all of these rules, don't text back, wait three hours, don't ask for the next date, don't share how you feel. All of that puts the power back into the man's hand just so that he can dictate the rules. He can dictate when you see each other or what the status of the relationship or the boundaries or whatever they may be. And so I understand when people say like, I don't want to play by those rules. I don't want to play. I don't want to date. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I'm just like, well, just don't. Yeah, just don't. And and just jump into how do you want to show up in a relationship? How do you want to be in a relationship? Even if you're not in a relationship, like you can still en- envision that. And then that's what you do. Now, I understand that's easier said than, than done. And I do think for a lot of us, we do have to do a little bit of inner work so that we can show up vulnerably. So we can ask for our boundaries or our agreements or our needs or whatever that is. So there is definitely some inner work involved for sure. But you know, I had, a, I had a friend the other day who just started dating someone and she texted me and she sent me this screenshot of like all of these, like she sent me a screenshot of a screenshot that her friend had sent her of like all of these rules. Like, awesome. You started dating someone. Here's what to do to not mess it up. Oh my God. And I like read through like the first three things. And I was just like, I already started getting anxiety. And then she texted, she was like, you don't like buy into this stuff, do you? And I was like, oh my God, no, no. no, no. And it's funny because like, sometimes I feel like everyone already knows this stuff you know, why do I do this work? Everyone already knows this stuff. And then I get, you know, a text like this from my friend and I'm like, no, not everyone knows this stuff. So no. I have to keep, keep sharing this uh, really important message. So I know I'm kind of meandering, but your, your story just, you know, brought up really just a, a lot of things for me, because I think that there is this fallacy that we have to get through these rules and get through all of these like stages in the so-called dating process to then be able to get into the relationship that we want or that you want. And I think that's false. Right. One thing that just came up for me is like, I remember, okay, so let's face it too. This is the revelation project. So the only time things really start to get revealed, right, is when shit gets real. <laughs> and the when you when you're done playing the games, which for me is like right away, like I hate playing games. I don't even like parties with small talk because like I just want to like I can't breathe. Yeah. Right? Because I feel like I don't know. It just, it feels like, you know, the, like, putting on the mask or forcing the smile when inside I'm just filled with anxiety, as I always am in a, in a big group of people. And there's some way that unless I can be really grounded and honest, or just show up and be self-approving in wherever I am in that moment. Like, I'm usually not going to have a good time in a situation like that. Like, I really love it when things get deep and when things get a little gritty, because that's when I get to see who is the person that I'm in relationship with? Who are they really? Because there's this way that we can continue to fool ourselves and continue to be in relationship with somebody until kind of the masks come off. And then when you see what you're really dealing with, you're like, holy shit, I've invested all this time and energy, and I've been on my quote unquote best behavior, you know, in order to like end up with now somebody who's actually not who they said they were. And by the way, if they're not who they said they were, then I'm obviously not who I said I was, right? Right? Because I've waited that long to kind of allow a dynamic or, you know, to bring up a dynamic. So I think it's good for us to kind of push sometimes those boundaries and get really clear or really open about what we're wanting, what even our requirements, not not to scare somebody, but to just come from a place of honesty and have a conversation from the heart with somebody. And I do this even with girlfriends, right? It's not just men. It's girlfriends that I truly want to deepen 
my understanding of who they are so that I know how far we can travel together. Yeah. I think just to give like one super tangible example of how this could look, you know, I I know there's like a lot of like Instagrammable things about be yourself or be vulnerable when you date and you're like, okay, great. What does that mean though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One really simple thing is I sometimes, I think sometimes that can get misinterpreted to like, oh my God, I have to tell this person all these private things about me. And I know some people like no big deal. They don't care. They'll just share everything. And some people are like, well, I don't want to tell people about, you know, all the things from my past. Yeah. I don't know what this person is, but sharing all of your skeletons or past stories or relationships, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That certainly is vulnerable. It's a form of vulnerability, but it's not the kind of vulnerability that at least I'm necessarily talking about, especially early on Right. when you're dating someone. Um, It could just be simple as like, let's say you met someone online and you've been kind of messaging back and forth and you finally have a date scheduled. And so you show up, you see the person. It could just be something along the lines of like, I'm really excited about meeting you. I've been looking forward to this. I've been enjoying getting to know you. Mm-hmm vulnerable because you're sharing how you feel in that moment. Yes. And that can lower the wall to actually have like a real human conversation because it signals the other person like, okay, cool. It's safe to lower my wall too. So it's something like as simple as, as that can be a super tangible example of, of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And oh gosh, there is one other thing that I was going to say was you were talking and it totally... I don't know. It'll <laughs> Well, it's it's it, what comes up for me is like the the place where the masks come off, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you do I think there comes a point in a relationship where it's just so revealing. Like that especially when it comes to an issue, right? Like a real issue where the two people feel different or there's conflict that comes into play, right? And it's like, I find that so many people are conflict avoidant, but there's a way that I think it's such a disguised gift because that's where we kind of get to really recover with each other and and deepen our intimacy and our understanding of one another. And I wondered if you could say something about that. Yeah. So one thing that I always tell people is 90% of the work when it comes to attracting and also then growing and deepening your ideal relationship comes before you ever even go on the first date. It comes from, again, like doing the inner child work, understanding your limiting beliefs and um, healing and shifting your perspective and the stories you tell you about yourself and how you feel love and worthy and all that kind of stuff. 90% of that happens before you ever go on the date. And, you know, I'll often get a question from clients or people in my DMs or whatever, like, okay, I have a date tonight. Like, how do, what do I do? Like, I don't want to mess it up. This guy's really cool or blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, honestly, at this point, you can't mess it up. Mm-hmm. All you can do is just have an intention to be curious, meaning like, what can you learn about this other person? Because this person is a human and they've had a whole lifetime of experiences and perspectives. So like, what do they have to share? What stories do they have to tell? So be curious and have fun. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. And what I also like about being curious and having fun is that it forces you to be in the present moment. Try having fun when you're not being present. I mean, you can't really do it, right? No, it's like, so think true. About, like, think about like little toddlers or kids playing at the playground or um, like, okay, when I take my dog to the dog park, I'm like he is just having so much freaking fun. He is just going crazy, chasing the ball, chasing other dogs, getting chased. And when we're trying to go, like we have, it's almost like I have to like snap him back. Like, come on, you have to like, we have to go, you know, it's, 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 it's actually quite a process, right? And the same thing with kids. So when, when you have an intention of being curious and having fun, that's all you can do. Mm-hmm. There is nothing you can do to mess it up. You know, aside from like truly egregious things, but I don't think that's really the case for anyone listening to this episode or this podcast, but you can't mess it up. If you sharing how you feel is like too much or you saying that you had a fun time and would like to see the person again is too much. If you asking for what you need, you know what? Like this table actually there's a breeze here, so would you mind moving to this table? like that kind of stuff. Like if that's too much, then this person was never, ever going to be able to have the relationship that you want ever, 
there is nothing you can do to change that. And so it's just better to know that sooner rather than later to save so much time, so much energy. So if you're not really thrilled with who you're attracting or the kind of relationships that you're finding yourself in, take a pause and really do some of this inner work and the inner child work that I'm talking about here. And that will shift things for you a lot. And then, you know, sometimes, yeah, there might be a a little bit of a learning curve. Like if you didn't experience or see a healthy relationship from your parents or another set of adults, you might just need to learn the basics of clear communication and boundary setting. But like, this is not rocket science. Like it's really not that hard. It's not rocket science. And it's also not necessarily like going back to what you said, common knowledge, because yeah. Like you said, there's so many, there's so many people I know that have, that have not been taught those basic skills. And I think that they're almost afraid to ask, you know, like, so I'm wondering too, Veronica, if you can, how would somebody go about starting to work with their inner child? Like, what do you say to that? Embodiment is a subject I talk about in almost every episode of the Revelation Project podcast because I've discovered that for most women, it's the way back home to ourselves. When we reveal what truly gets in the way of loving the skin that we're in, then we allow the deep healing that aligns us to our true selves and opens us to the miracles and magic that's possible in our lives. For years, I was in a continual unconscious battle with myself. I punished myself based on what I thought my body should look like or for what I ate or didn't eat. When we feel ashamed of our own sacred bodies or blame ourselves for eating, we diminish our power and perpetuate the trance and the belief that we're not enough. It wasn't until I made peace with my body that a whole new world opened up for me, which is why I'm thrilled to share the Body Peace Seekers, created by Nina Mandelson, for women who desire a relationship with food and your body that is caring, nourishing, loving, and peaceful. Nina has guided thousands of women to feeling good in their own skin through Body Peace Seekers. It's a soul-nourishing opportunity to create a sustainably supportive relationship with yourself, as well as a sisterhood of women who are celebrating a new way of being in relationship with their own sacred bodies. So if you're listening today and want to be free of the tyranny of body shame and blame, then I want to encourage you to reach out to Nina. You can learn more about the Body Peace Seekers by visiting ninamandelson.com slash Body Peace Revelation. Again, that's ninamandelson.com slash Body Peace Revelation. Be sure to tell Nina, too, that you heard about her through the Revelation Project podcast because she has a special gift just for our listeners that will add another powerful level of support to your experience. Again, it's Nina Mandelson. N-I-N-A-M-A-N-O-L-S-O-N dot com slash body peace revelation. Yeah, so the first thing is just to notice the either the main belief you have about yourself in relationships or in your love life. So let's say a core belief that drives a lot of your love life is everybody leaves me. Or maybe a core belief you have is relationships are just so exhausting. They take so much energy, right? Or if it's not a core belief, it can be a core feeling. Like you feel like when you're dating, you just need to get the other person to like you back to feel good enough. Even if you don't even really like the person that much, but you still need that validation. So whatever the core feeling, whatever the core belief is, or the core story that you tell yourself as it relates to your love life, You just kind of sit with that for a second. You just notice what that feels like in your body. Where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your belly? Do you feel it in your chest, your throat, your head, your womb space, somewhere else? And then you just ask yourself, when have I felt like this before? Mm -hmm. Or what does this remind me of? Or if you're working more with like a story or a belief, it's like, who told me that before? Mm -hmm. And so then you begin to connect the dots. Oh, well, this kind of belief that I carry around that relationships are a burden kind of reminds me of growing up because we just, I just felt like, you know, 
everything revolved around my dad's temper. I noticed my mom, you know, always trying to please him. I was always walking on eggshells because I didn't want to set him off. I couldn't ask for anything. I couldn't say what I wanted or what I felt or what I thought. And I had to just take care of his needs just so that he wouldn't explode. Well, without working through that, without healing that, that could very well create a belief that I can create any number of beliefs, but one belief could be relationships or or even specifically, you could develop that kind of belief specifically towards men. If it was someone like your father with that kind of pattern, it could be like relationships with men are exhausting or they're a burden, or I can't be myself or who I am you know, with, with men or whatever, or it could just be with people in general, intimate relationships doesn't necessarily have to only be with men. So that's where you start. It's just what I call connecting the dots. It's understanding why you feel the way you feel, why you think the way you think, or why you believe what you believe and understand and and just seeing, okay, when did this happen before? And for some people who have experienced an acute trauma, like a divorce or death, or like any kind of earth shattering life um, life changing experience, it might feel a little bit more obvious and you might be like, oh, well, obviously this goes back to whatever. For folks who were like, well, like my childhood was was good, like, you know, whatever, you know, my parents are did what they could, they're busy, they had a bunch of kids and blah, blah, blah. That doesn't necessarily, or that doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. I believe that this applies to all of us. So long as you are human and so long as you are raised by humans, which I'm pretty sure is everybody, then you're raised by imperfect beings because that's how we are as as humans. That's part of us being divine beings, having a human experience. And so with that being true, there is going to be times when parents project their stuff onto you, when they don't deal with their emotions well or healthfully or maturely. And so when you're a five-year-old and dad has a temper, when you're a five-year-old, your parents are on a pedestal you know, because they are basically gods because they know everything and they can do everything and they've kept you alive. And so they're on like this divine, like pedestal. And that's not bad or unnormal. That's very normal in terms of our development and how we relate to our parents. But the problem is with that, when that does happen and then they project and they're not able to have a conversation about what just happened, then the five-year-old or whatever age might make that mean, oh, well, something's wrong with me mm-hmm. because my dad just said this about me or just exploded, you know, all in and whatever, his anger all over all over me. And so you don't have any other frame of reference. You don't have this ability, most likely as a five-year-old to be like, oh, well, this is just my dad deal- not dealing with his own stuff in a healthy way. Right. This is my stuff dad's own inner child stuff, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. A five-year-old doesn't get that. And so they make it a they make it about themselves. And again, that's all normal. There's nothing wrong, even do anything bad. But we do have to then deconstruct that as an adult so you can begin to tell yourself a new story. Now, I will say one thing that happens quite often is, well, let's say like that was the five-year-old's experience. That's the inner child we're working with. And then the adult self version of that inner child might be like, yeah, my dad was totally an asshole. He had this temper. Um, but I totally understand, you know, he was really stressed. He was working a lot of hours. My mom wasn't working. We had a lot of kids, he had a lot on his plate. You might be able to rationalize why he did what he did. And you might think, yeah, so I'm good. I don't need to work through that. Like I understand. And that might be true. And I think that is sometimes can be part of the healing process, kind of just seeing your parents as, you know, humans rather than divine like beings. But there's a way that that's a little bit of a bypass. It's 100% a bypass. All right, because I'm like, because that is so, that is so the way I feel, you know, it's it's like when people say, well, that's just the way I am. Or, you know, it's it's like, okay, yes, and yeah, there's so much that gets revealed when we actually, and I think, you know, what's coming up is that it does take a certain amount of courage to actually, because now what we're talking about is shadow work. Yes, yes. Yes. And so, you know, people 
get really nervous. But I want to go back to what you said before, because it was was so beautiful. It's kind of like how we get out there in the dating world. I want to turn that back on ourselves and say, like, what is it like to date ourselves and get curious about ourselves and go deeper and kind of take it slowly, intimately, right? Getting more and more intimate into ourselves so that we can kind of see, like, what's like, what's here? Like, why, why do I get triggered? Or can I get curious and compassionate with myself around why I act that way? Because, you know, the two words that you used before were acceptance and trust. And I often say, or or it comes back to me because it's, it's kind of this universal truth that I have to continually remember that unless I have acceptance and trust over here, how am I going to have it out there? Totally, totally. So really and truly, inner child work, at the end of the day, all comes down to how you relate to yourself. So I always tell listeners in my podcast and clients and whatnot, you can do every single assignment and use every single tool I ever give you times a hundred, times a thousand, times infinity. But if you still treat yourself like crap, then what you're doing is going to have a very blunted effect. Mm-hmm. Because here, let me let me give you an example. So let's say, like, I don't know, you are dating someone and you just kind of beat yourself up over it. You're like, oh God, how did I find this kind of person again? Why am I in the same kind of relationship? And you can talk, you know, crap about yourself that you're such an idiot, you're so dumb, you're so naive, like you can't do this, blah, 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 blah. Like you can do that. It's probably not going to get you to where you want, but that certainly is an option. Or, and and also I would say there's probably a good chance that that's internalized from someone that probably talked to you like that, maybe not around dating, but maybe like around your grades or your body or something else. Right. So it's probably internalized from something else. So that's where inner child work comes in because now it's not just that you have to identify where the pattern started or why you believe or what you do, what you, you know, all that kind of stuff, the origin of all that. But now you have to be that adult in the room that maybe wasn't quite there. So like if dad was, you know, just spilling all of his anger all over you and not emotionally regulating in a healthy way, then inner child work is really about being that adult in the room, removing the inner child from the, from the room and being like, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. You don't deserve this. This is your dad acting out. He's misbehaving and it's not fair and it sucks. And whatever you're feeling, whatever you're needing, I'm here. I'm here with you. So that's basically talking to yourself in a very compassionate way. And you have to do that in present time. Because again, like if you're beating yourself up over you know, some mistake you might've made, then you're probably again, talking to yourself, possibly like your dad talked to you or another adult versus like, oh, sweetheart, I know we got back into the same pattern again. And that really sucks. It's really hard, but it's also really hard to change patterns. You know, this goes back a really long time and you're doing a really good job. And even if we just make incremental improvements every time, like that's enough, you already are enough. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You know what I mean? And so when we can talk to ourselves like that, then it's much easier to be in relationship with ourselves than be in relationship with others and just have a healthier kind of energy. If you're constantly like beating yourself up and doing this and doing that, then like we kind of teach people how to treat us. And we teach people that that's okay, or it's acceptable when really it's not okay. And it's, and it's not acceptable. And, and, and really like whatever you want from your relationship, from your future or your ideal partner, you have to be able to do that with yourself. Sometimes we buy into this fallacy. And I think this is kind of patriarchal in nature that we get things from the partner, from the relationship. Like that's how we get our security, get our happiness, get our whatever. Or that someone else completes us. Like like yes. we're not yes. whole and complete on our own, which, you know, yes, that is you know, a a harmful myth, because it keeps us in a place of, you know, searching for the one who completes us. And we are whole in and to ourselves. We are creative, resourceful, and whole. And when we come from that place, we actually attract someone else who is also creative, resourceful, and whole. And what's beautiful about that is that as your relationship with each other matures, you 
Like in my relationship, one of the beautiful things about my relationship is we don't always need to be with each other 24-7. It's like we we know that we are whole and complete onto ourselves and that I can go off and do something and learn something and come back to the relationship and enrich the relationship and make the relationship that much better for having gone and taken care of myself and continued to nourish myself. So I know that we're almost at time, Veronica, but I have loved this conversation. And I feel like, as usual, we've just scratched the very (laughs) surface. Like there's so much more. And I also wanted to point to the fact that you talk about women even being emotionally unavailable. And we had talked about kind of bypassing, and that's one symptom of being emotionally unavailable. But I've also seen so many women deflect that there's an issue at all. Or, you know, I've seen them even deflect, like if you give them a compliment, it's like, there's all kinds of like deflection and stuff going on. These are symptoms where you want to start kind of looking at like, am I an emotionally available person? Or do I kind of like take off the minute that like I feel uncomfortable? Yeah. So I mean, I I think that there's a stereotype of the emotionally unavailable guy. He's aloof. He's noncommittal doesn't like to talk about emotions. And so I think it is seen, you know, for heterosexual people, it is seen as like a problem that men are or whatever. And again, I I think this is still just like a product of the patriarchy. I mean, unfortunately, I do think boys are raised to be like that. And then of course they become men (laughs) and they're still like that. But I also think that there are ways in which women are emotionally unavailable they're not as stereotypical. And so like, I think you said the phrase before, they can be hiding in plain sight. So I think basically playing into any of the dating roles ultimately makes you emotionally unavailable. If you're not going to share how you feel with someone because the guy is supposed to do that, or if you're waiting three hours to text back or whatever the rule is, or you know anything like that, then ultimately you're at least trying to put yourself in a place where you can't be hurt, you can't be rejected. And that's ultimately not being emotionally unavailable because- vulnerability is all about potentially being rejected. That's kind of part of the deal. And it's also what I call the trance of unworthiness is when Mm. we play those games, when we don't believe in our own enoughness, that we actually tend to seek the validation out there or numb from our own feelings. Those are all symptoms of the trance. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I I think that one of the best things that you can do to attract more emotionally available partners is to look at your own ways that you might be emotionally unavailable. People-pleasing, not setting boundaries, being the yes person, uh, not sharing how you feel, all those kind of things are actually ways that you're emotionally unavailable because you're trying to let something or someone else make you feel how you want to feel. Do you know what I mean? And so- even when I was dating and I really wanted to be in a relationship, like I desperately wanted to be in a relationship, wanting a relationship and being emotionally available for the relationship are not the same things. You know, when I shared a little bit about my story, like, yes, I wanted to be in a relationship, but I also shared that, like, I didn't really know how to be emotive and express emotion and share and connect with someone in a deeper way. And so I kind of just connected like, well, okay, we're going to have sex and that will be intimate and then we'll be emotionally connected. Nope. nope. And so nope. <laughs> and so I was really emotionally unavailable. Now, it was not in the ma- male stereotypical way, but I certainly was emotionally unavailable. And it wasn't until I became clear in the ways that I was unavailable, you know, until, you know, was when things started changing. The good news is that I think of emotionally or I think of emotional availability as like a spectrum. So like mm-hmm. zero being like mm-hmm. 0% emotionally available, hundred being hundred percent emotionally available. I don't, so it's not like something you are or are not. I also don't think you have to be, nor is it probably even possible to be a hundred percent emotionally available. I think maybe like 70, 80% range is, is good, really good. And this is where I get into like also kind of why it's so important to like really focus on the inner work and then less so on like, the tactics behind dating, because if you're a 0% emotionally available and you go on a hundred dates, well, a hundred times zero is still zero. (laughs) So you're probably not going to have a lot of fruit, you know, from your, 
from your efforts. And that's just very easy from there to be bitter, jaded, point the finger, be exhausted, burnout, all of those kinds of things. But if you can slowly get that higher and higher to, you know, maybe that 70%, 80% range, then a lot of the dates you go on, you know, if you think about you go on a hundred dates times 70%, 80%, well, a good 70 to 80% of those dates might actually be able to lead somewhere, right? And you're probably going to feel a lot more fruits for your labor. And you also probably won't have to go on a hundred dates either, which is the best news, I think. So that's that's how I like to, you know, to to, to think about this whole whole thing around emotional availability and dating and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I just I just had my own kind of revelation as I was sitting here listening to you because my husband taught me, like I was somebody who was super emotionally unavailable in ways when it was about being intimate, right, and vulnerable with a man because and he he has taught me which, you know, goes so against the stereotype. You know, I often he's always teaching me what it is to connect at that level and it's it's such a gift. Like when you find somebody who can really meet you where you are and also love you unconditionally and kind of I've just benefited so much in my relationship with him. As I've learned how to love myself, I've also learned how to be more available and more intimate because my childhood trauma really had like shut that down, you know, like, and so I'm just sharing this because it's very much part of my story, this un, this emotional unavailability. So Veronica, how would you you know, direct our listeners to really learn more about you. You've, of course, got your incredible podcast so that they can hear all kinds of topics around different relationship subjects. So for sure, tell them where to go, but anything else that you want to offer before we before we go? Yeah. So um, I do have an emotional availability assessment. And it's kind of like one of those magazine quizzes, like you just put a number in and then you add up all the numbers at the end. And it, it kind of gives you an idea of like, okay, how emotionally available am I? And then depending on your score, I've got some tips and tools and also some resources for you to focus on that will help you know you to become more open for the relationship you want emotionally, not just mentally. <laughs> and then I have, oh, and you can get that at veronicagrant.com forward slash assessment. And then I have a podcast wherever you're listening to this one. Most likely my podcast is there too. It's called The Love Life Connection. And there on the show, I bring on clients and also community members, listeners of the show to coach them through a situationship, a question going on in their love life. And it's all through the lens of inner child work. So like, if you're kind of like, all right, inner child work sounds interesting, not sure how it'll like help me on tender, then you'll definitely want to listen to some of those episodes because it can kind of help you see um, what inner child work can really help you do and create in your love life. I love that. I'm going to go take the quiz so I can find out how far along I've come. Awesome. I love that. that. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for for being here. And thank you for your work in the world, Veronica. It's been such a fun conversation. And I I can't wait. We're going to do this again on your podcast soon. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, I'll be sure to, of course, put the link to the quiz and how else you can connect with Veronica. And until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.